Welcome to Explain It for the second Sunday after Christmas. And our time together will be focused on Matthew chapter 2. Now we're in the 12 days of Christmas, and uh, then we have the season of Epiphany. So on the 13th day after uh, Christmas, we have this uh, celebration of uh, the manifestation then of, of Jesus as God. So as the hymn goes, God in flesh is made manifest. So in the in the 12 days of Christmas, you have these, these events um, and you have a timetable given. So in Luke chapter 2, uh, it's very clear that on the eighth day, his parents uh, fulfill the law. Uh, they circumcise their son and they give him the name Jesus, the name the angel uh, had directed them uh, to give to this, uh, this one uh, born of Mary. And it means uh, uh, the Lord saves. On the 40th day, uh, there is a presentation of the firstborn in the temple, and uh, there they meet uh, Simeon, who has been waiting for Messiah, and he holds him in his arms, and he sings this uh, song of peace. You, you let your servant now depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, uh, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. In Matthew chapter 2, the gospel for today, we then have uh, the account of the arrival of the Magi. Uh, there is this uh, fleeing then to Egypt to escape the plot of Herod. And then uh, the sad account of uh, the slaughter, it's called, of the, of the holy innocents. All the baby boys uh, are slaughtered by Herod, uh, who are two years uh, old and younger. Now, this coming uh, of the Magi, that timetable, we don't really, don't really know for sure. Uh, we can say for sure that it wasn't at the same time as uh, the shepherds coming on uh, the Christmas day. Um, historically, uh, it's been represented as coming on the 13th day uh, by the Western Church. Uh, it could have been during the, the 40 days of purification. Some have said that maybe it was even two years after because of the uh, the text where it says that, that Herod uh, gave the order to kill all the babies who were two years uh, and younger. So it's not a matter of faith uh, to determine the exact uh, date, uh, but we do have the account very clear for us. So the coming of the Magi. Uh, on the flight to Egypt in Matthew chapter 2, uh, specifically in Matthew, you'll, you'll hear him use this word over and over again, fulfilled. He's connecting the Old Testament prophecies of uh, Messiah, and he is uh, relating them in, in, to the life of Christ, all of the events. So his birth, uh, the giving of his name, the coming of the Magi, uh, the fleeing of this family to Egypt, uh, this family coming out of Egypt, uh, they're residing in Nazareth. So all of these are, um, you could say, uh, being fulfilled or filled to the full uh, in the life of Jesus. So here's the account, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So you have Gentiles here in search of the king of the Jews. 
king of the Jews. That's an interesting phrase because we have a king in the text already. Uh, It says, when King Herod heard this. Now, King Herod really is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Genesis chapter 49. Uh, He is a, a foreign king over the Jews. So remember that word again, fulfilled. Genesis 49 says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. So the scepter has departed from Judah. They have a foreign king, King Herod. Now, when King Herod, the text says, heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So uh, you could say disturbed in two different ways. Uh, disturbed mentally, uh, this king is paranoid about anyone who wants to take uh, any type of uh, um, run at his throne. And so he uh, slaughters uh, even uh, members of his home, home, own family who are a threat. So you can imagine that uh, when he acts out, all of Jerusalem also uh, is afraid. In fact, he is so brutal that uh, Caesar Augustus was uh, noted as saying, I would rather be Herod's swine uh, than, than Herod's son. So when you have King Herod, who is disturbed in his mind and paranoid about uh, anyone uh, coming to his, uh, to his throne to take it away, any threat um, he is going to be disturbed about that, as the text says, and all those around him as well, all of Jerusalem with him. So this really is uh, an account, and it sets the stage for what is it to have this, this king of the Jews, the one known as Messiah, not a physical kingdom, but the Messiah, the spiritual king, and his spiritual kingdom. What happens when that is, um, when that kingdom comes into the world, how do the kingdoms of the world react? And it's not just King Herod, but it's also our own little kingdoms, kingdoms of power and kingdoms of of fame and wealth uh, and position uh, and stature. Um, So how how do those kingdoms react to the coming of the king of kings? Uh, Psalm 2 is very clear. It says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So, you know, right from Psalm chapter 2, when this king comes into the world, the kingdoms of this world are not going to uh, accept him. Uh, there's not going to be a welcome for this type of king. In fact, uh, the opposite occurs. Uh, they are threatened and they're fearful. Uh, there is deceit and treachery. Uh, there's orders to attack and annihilate. There's hostility and persecution and cross uh, and suffering. And again, this just isn't about King Herod. Uh, or uh, all the physical kings of this world. It's about our own also uh, little kingdom that we have set up. We are threatened by it. We're, we're fearful of it. Uh, there's deceit and treachery in our own hearts. Um, there's perhaps even ways that we want to undermine it. Uh, there's persecution from the outside world towards this kingdom. And if we're part of that kingdom, we should expect that also as well. But the story also goes that God builds his church. God establishes kingdom and he provides for it and he protects it. And these kingdoms of the world and the plans of these kings are thwarted and they're 
and they're frustrated and God's kingdom does come among us. So the text continues, says, when he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, so where uh, is the Christ to be born? So they search the scriptures. And uh, this is uh, this is fascinating because um, uh, the Jewish people, uh, they understood, uh, they were very uh, knowledgeable and had the scriptures uh, in their mind uh, at all times. So uh, they searched the scriptures looking for Messiah, and, and Herod knows this. Uh, and so he asked them, so where is this your king of the Jews supposed to come from? Uh, so they searched the scriptures, and they find that it says in Micah chapter 5, well, uh, in Bethlehem in Judea, they say, for this is what the prophet has written. So again, uh, this idea of fulfilled. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And so they search the scriptures. Uh, but they don't really do it with uh, the motives um, and really uh, the gift that the Holy Spirit has given to us in the scriptures. So Jesus says, you search the scriptures you know, to find me. But in this case, we have Herod searching the scriptures uh, to find a way uh, to destroy and kill uh, this king who he sees as a threat. So his motive is uh, going into the, the scriptures, uh, this word of God, uh, to destroy and kill. Um, you have these, um, these teachers of the law, uh, these scribes, these ones who know the scriptures, but they have really no intent to follow uh, them to the king. But you have this, these, these Gentiles, uh, these... Um, these ones who have come and they uh, hear the scriptures and they say, now we'll go and we'll seek and we'll find and we will worship the king. So again, applying to us, how do we search the scriptures, right? Um, do we uh, go into them and the Holy Spirit helps us see and to seek and to find? And uh, the result is that we worship the king and we have great boldness and confidence in knowing that Jesus is the one who all the scriptures point point to? Or do we just read it, you know, casually, academically, you know, to know some things about, uh, you know, a certain period of history, uh, but there's really no intent to to go to this king and to, to worship him? Uh, or could it be that there are some, maybe even in our lives, who use the scriptures against the faith and their only intent is to uh, to destroy uh, the faith or to uh, to kill uh, the faith. Matthew chapter two it says, "On coming to the house, they see the child with his mother Mary, and they bow down and they worship him. And then they open their treasures and present him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And so um, we don't necessarily know if there were three magi. Um, there could have been three. There could have been more than three. Uh, it's usually associated with the gifts that they bring. Uh, again, it's not a matter of faith how many there were. Um, but they bring these gifts. And associated with these gifts historically has been gold. Gold for a king and incense uh, for a priest. And then myrrh was used to anoint, especially, um, uh, you know, the, the body of one who had died. So myrrh for the sacrificial death of this little baby. And so right there, 
uh, is really the offices of of Jesus, the Messiah. He's prophet, priest, and he is he is a king. He is uh, the one who will rule and reign. Uh, he is the one who intercedes. He is our our great high priest, and he is also the Son of God and the Son of Man who will offer his life, uh, the sacrificial death for um, for all of uh, all of mankind. So they are warned now in a dream not to go back to Herod, because Herod had told them, "You go and uh, you find uh, this uh, this king, and then come back and tell me where he is." And I will then uh, worship him as well. So there was this this trickery and this uh, deceit. He had no intent. Herod had no intent of worshiping the king. Um, and these these magi, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And so then they go back by uh, another route. Now, interesting, it says that when the magi were warned, it was in a dream. But when Mary and Joseph were warned, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So this angel keeps appearing to this this family, to Mary uh, as she uh, uh, conceives, uh, to Joseph as he takes her to be his wife. And now in this dream, uh, he warns this this family, this royal family, uh, to get up and to take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and to stay there until Herod is um, is dead because this this king is going to search for the child to kill him. Imagine, imagine the terror in this family um, that um, they're bringing, you know, um, are brought news from an, an angelic being that uh, the life of their child is in danger, and so they flee in the middle of the night, and they go to Egypt. And they stay there until the death of Herod. And again, here's a fulfillment uh, statement. So was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. So again, that's an Old Testament reference uh, to to Israel, the people of Israel being brought out of Egypt, that great act of redemption. But now it's uh, being fulfilled, or you could say filled to the full, in uh, the real Israel. So Israel, you could say, funneled down to one, which is Jesus. So out of Egypt I have called my son. So now when Herod realized this, that he had been tricked, uh, outwitted by the Magi, again, he's disturbed, right? And he's paranoid. He's furious, and so he gives orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So that's one of the reasons why some might have thought that there was a longer period of time after the birth of Jesus um, because of uh, uh, the reckoning in uh, time, which the Magi uh, told Herod when they had seen the star and so he did the calculations and said, well, uh, anyone who is two years old and under, um, and he sends um, his uh, demonic, you could say, yeah, demonic agents to go and to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Now, this is a picture of uh, really the attack of the evil one, the demonic on the king and the kingdom, all for our sake. Isaiah 53 says, he, this suffering servant, so Israel uh, reduced again to one, 
So Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him, him not. Jesus, even from infancy, is one who is familiar with suffering. So in the epistle for today, we have this this reading, and you think it might be strange, right? In the 12 days of Christmas, you get this, this reading about suffering and, you know, the slaughter of the holy innocence. First Peter chapter 4 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So we, we participate in the sufferings of, of Christ. So then, verse 19 continues, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Here it is again. This one who is born into the flesh, surely he took up our infirmities, this is the purpose, carried our sorrows, And yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So the world welcomes this king um, in such a way that it sees the king and his kingdom as a threat. And they are fearful. And behind these earthly kings and kingdoms, again, is the demonic, is uh, Satan, who always wants the throne of God, threatened and fearful, full of deceit and treachery. There's orders to attack and to annihilate. There's hostility and there's persecution. There's cross and suffering. And we, as uh, those who worship the king, should expect all of these things that just as he was familiar with suffering, this suffering will also be a part of uh, our lives as we live in this kingdom. But the good news is that God is um, protecting his church. He is Lord, this Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings, and he will build it and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, and he will provide for it just as he did for Mary and Joseph, and he will protect them. And these plans against the king, uh, king's kingdom will be thwarted and they will be frustrated. And so we welcome the king in such a way through faith that we come and we bow down and we worship him. And so really in the Lord's prayer, it gives us a wonderful phrase. It doesn't say, my kingdom come, right? Jesus doesn't teach us that we should bring all of our thoughts about kingdoms into prayer and say, my kingdom come, but rather through faith. We simply say, and we trust, and we believe that Jesus is the king uh, who has promised to come into this world and he defeats all enemies. And so we pray boldly, thy kingdom come.